Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. In this episode, I'm going to share with you what I learned this week while trying to further understand what it is that Google rewards in websites. We really didn't find a lot of data amongst our client base to analyze that's specific to Google's product reviews update. So what I did this week was spend time reading articles from other experts who have analyzed the update. I'll share with you in this episode what I learned from reading Glenn Gabe's post and also an article on Search Engine Journal by Morty Oberstein, which I thought was really, really interesting. We had another one, maybe two of these mini updates that I keep talking about, so I'll share on that. But if you are a site that has been trying to get action in Google News but struggling, you're going to want to hear the story of a client that we consulted with as something that we learned is it's almost impossible to get into Google News for many sites right now. And it's actually been this way for quite a while. So I'll share about that with you as well. This is episode number 181 of Search News You Can Use. You can find an online version of this at mariehaines.com slash newsletter. The online version is not exactly the same as this podcast. It, it used to be. I used to essentially read newsletter for podcast. And then over the last year or so, I started adding my own thoughts. And really what podcast has become is me sharing what did I learn this week, which is really, really cool. <laughs> if, if any of you were considering starting a podcast, I'd recommend doing it. It doesn't even matter if you have a very small audience. For me, the best part of recording this podcast is that in order for me to talk about things, I need to learn about them and try to understand them. So my, really my main reason in doing this is just to improve my knowledge, which if you work in SEO is something that we all need to be doing. It's a profession where you can't sleep on new industry knowledge or else you're going to get caught behind the times. You know, I, saw a Reddit thread this week from a small business owner who was asking what to expect when their newly hired SEO agency has told them that it's going to take six months or more to see any results from their SEO efforts. Now, this is pretty standard. I mean, it's something that a lot of us say. SEO is not usually going to get you ranking number one in a really short time frame, unless maybe you have almost no competition. It takes time to create great content and to find ways to get people to link to that content and to be continually improving upon the technical aspects of your site and just always optimizing as you figure out what it is that your readers are finding valuable on your site. I guess all that takes time, but the thing that really bothered me about this Reddit post is that almost all of the responses for this business uh, owner were essentially saying, just give it more time. Your SEO company needs to keep building links and soon you're going to start seeing better rankings. I feel to me, it's like the one tool in the toolbox of many SEOs is finding as many ways to build links as you can, but the types of the links that these companies are building for the most part are self-made links where you're trying to trick Google's algorithms into thinking that they're actually recommendations from people that matter. So for this business owner, they're saying that their newly hired SEO company is creating content for them twice a month and building links to that content as well. 
And they've been doing this for a couple of months and the site owner seeing almost nobody click on those links that are pointing to their website. Now, I don't know any details about this situation, but I'd love to see the content that the SEO company is producing for this site. My bet is that it's not expert level content. And I also bet that the links that they're building are not actual recommendations from experts. And I bet you that six months are going to pass and this business owner is going to get frustrated that they're not seeing more movement. And then they're going to fire this SEO agency. And this is probably why most people do not think highly of search engine optimizers. You can do incredible things with SEO, but I really believe that to do good and effective work, we can't just rely on tactics that used to work years ago. In our site reviews, our main focus for the past few years is on improving as many of the signals as we can that Google would use to measure things like EAT. We recommend ways to either get more authoritative authors or improve the recognized authority of your current authors. We talk about cleaning up reputation issues around the web. And what we're really starting to pay attention to now is understanding how Google recognizes when a page has done a good job at meeting the needs of searchers. I'll likely be sharing more on this in the weeks to come. I spent a lot of time this week reading eye-tracking research studies about how searchers read online. Almost nobody reads an entire article or a web page from top to bottom anymore. Yet I think that many of us often write content under the assumption that every word is going to get read by the searcher. And when you think about it, that's really writing for search engines, not users. One of the reasons why I was doing this research was that we're starting to notice some patterns amongst pages that performed well, either with the product reviews update or with these mini updates that we keep talking about that have been happening all throughout 2021, where we're actually able to recognize that the page that did well with these updates actually captured the reader's attention faster. And that can look different for every page that we look at. Sometimes, uh, something that Morty Oberstein noted in his article on the product review update is that many pages that are seeing positive effects as a result of this update had something at the top of the post, like a table of contents or a bulleted list. And I'm seeing the same thing too. Now, I'm not saying that every single page on the web needs to have a table of contents or a bulleted list at the top of the post, but I think that in a lot of cases that can help your readers to understand the value that's on this page before they've actually engaged with the page. We have to remember that when people engage with a page, they don't read every word from top to bottom to figure out whether this is a valuable and helpful page for them. They skim things like headings and hyperlinked words and interesting standout features like bulleted lists. So right now we're working on recommendations for clients of ours that we're doing ongoing work for. And then eventually we'll probably produce either an article or if it's big enough, maybe a white paper with general guidelines for improving your content so that it does a better need, a better job at meeting the needs of searchers. So let's talk more about the most recent known and announced Google update, the product reviews update. Last week I spoke on this in podcast 
And two weeks ago, I went into great detail about Google's blog post where they ask specific questions that you should be asking yourself if you have content on your website that is in the form of a review. Basically, content that helps a searcher make a decision when they're trying to either buy a product or engage with a service. Now, the two articles that I read this week on this update, one was from Glenn Gabe on his website, and another again was from Morty Oberstein on Search Engine Journal. Both of them mentioned how similar they felt the product reviews update was when compared with the December core update. Glenn and Morty both share examples of sites with massive surges or declines in traffic, either starting on April 8th, which is the day that the product reviews update started rolling out, or at some point in the two weeks following that. Uh, if you missed it, the update finished rolling out on April 22nd. And this type of massive surge, the type of thing that I would call hockey stick growth, which... By the way, it looks like the Leafs are going to clinch a playoff spot this week, which is not something that usually happens. It's usually right down to the last game or two of the season for us to actually find out if we're even going to make the playoffs. So go Leafs, go. This is great stuff. So this hockey stick growth, or in some cases, dramatic drops in traffic that Glenn and Morty are both talking about, is really, really significant. Although... Again, I find it really interesting that we don't, we personally don't have any clients where I'm seeing the same. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm in no way disagreeing with Glenn and Morty. I think they're both really, really smart investigators. And I pay close attention when somebody who studies Google's algorithms has insights to share. I kind of wish more of us did this. I think the SEO community is so quick to criticize uh, when we get out there and we start saying, look, I'm seeing this where it discourages a lot of us from actually uh, writing posts like this. So thank you, Glenn and Morty, for putting this out there for all of us to read. Something that I thought was really interesting from Glenn's post was that he noticed surging traffic in some sites that have been hit very heavily with the December core update. And the surge started at some point during the last two weeks where Google was releasing the product reviews update. I think it's reasonable to assume that these increases were because of the product reviews update, but I still think that there's something else going on as so many of the sites that are affected had little or no content that could be considered review content. What's interesting about this observation is that Google has told us that if you are affected by a broad core update and if you make changes to improve the quality of your site, you're not going to improve your rankings and traffic dramatically until Google runs another core update. So if sites that were hit by the December core update appear to be recovering between April 8th and April 22nd, it sounds to me like whatever was rolled out by Google really was the same in some ways as a core update. I don't think it really matters for us to try to figure out whether Google released another core update that they didn't tell us about, or whether the product reviews update was somehow connected. I think what we really need to know is that once again, Google changed something that had a drastic effect on many sites. Something else that Glenn pointed out 
I mentioned this last week, but it's worth worth mentioning again, is that some sites that declined with this update had large amounts of user-generated content that could be considered review content. So if you have a website that talks about a particular product and then has people leaving recommendations and comments and maybe concerns about that product, and all of those things can maybe help inform people's opinion about the product itself and whether or not they want to buy it or engage with this service, then all of these comments can be factored into Google's assessment of quality for this site. I've seen people say that this is one of the reasons why they got rid of comments on their website. I saw Lily Ray tweeting something uh, where she said that some of her medical clients just decided to completely scrap user-generated content, usually in the form of contents, completely, because there was just too much low-quality, useless stuff in the comments section to make it valuable to anyone. I get that, and I understand why those companies did it, but it might not always be the best course of action, in my opinion. It's been a while since I mentioned this, so I'm going to repeat this again. A few years ago, Jennifer Slegg was asking Gary Ish from Google about whether comments were a ranking factor in Google's algorithms. And Gary actually said that a thriving comments section could be a positive ranking factor. Now, I don't have the quote right in front of me, but he said something to the effect of if links and content were considered a five in terms of their importance uh, in, in Google's rankings, then maybe comments would be considered a one when it comes to being a ranking factor. So not vitally important, but still could affect your ability to be able to rank well. So if I was given the choice to either improve upon user-generated content for a review page, or really any page on the web, or completely get rid of it, I would want to keep it if possible. The thing is though, that it needs to be highly moderated. So if you have a comment section on your page that's getting spammed or maybe where your users tend to leave bad advice (laughs) that would contradict expert consensus, then yes, it might make sense to remove comments from your pages. I think what would be even better though, is to engage with those comments and kind of show why you feel that they're wrong. But I understand again why this can't be done, especially for websites that have massive amounts of content. I'd encourage you to read Glenn's article and especially the part where he talks about the example from Wirecutter. And he shares how it ticks a lot of the boxes from Google's recommendation in their blog post that again, we talked about a couple of weeks ago. There were a couple of other observations that Glenn made that I thought were interesting. He speculated that affiliate sites that were overly aggressive with their drive to push the user to click an affiliate link could be negatively affected by this update as well. Now, again, just to repeat, we really don't have clients that have been drastically negatively affected by this update. And the ones that I could find, uh, their changes really started before April 8th. And so, uh, you know, it's hard to say whether they're affected by product reviews, no, if they started before April 8th, or what I keep saying is that um, Google is doing something else here, that Google's pushing out little mini updates, and each one of these seems to mark an advance where Google gets a little bit better at understanding the intent behind a keyword and uh, the pages that are relevant to that keyword. Um, we did notice a couple of dates this week. April 18th was a day on which we had a number of clients with 
changes that I think are connected to uh, Google understanding intent better. And then Barry Schwartz wrote about April 23rd as one of these dates as well, which uh, so far we haven't seen in our data, but it's possible something was going on there. So it's really interesting that Glenn noticed this because Morty noticed something interesting similar in his article. So in his search engine journal article, he shares an example of uh, the keyword best built in microwave. And he gives an example of a page that used to rank well for this query, but lost a couple of ranking positions along with the product reviews update. Now, in this case, the page that suffered was actually a pretty decent page. It still ranks on page one, but it lost some ranking positions. In Morty's words, he says, quote, there's nothing thin or spammy or anything of the like here. It's legitimately good content. And this is a page that did not do well with the product reviews update. I'd encourage you to read his entire article, but if you want to track along with me, you can do a search for best built in microwave. And the page that lost rankings is from St. James Gate. And the page that improved is from a site called Best Reviews. I thought this was really interesting where he shows the part of the page that has product images along with a link that says, here's where you can buy it on Amazon or wherever you're going to buy it. And he pointed out that the descriptions of these products for the site that lost in the product reviews update, the descriptions are filled with what he calls marketing language. I think uh, I mentioned this earlier um, in another thing I was talking about today where I called it commercial language. He highlights one of the descriptions of these microwaves, the best built-in microwaves. And the description says, achieves fast and delicious results with your recipes. Or there's another one that says, this microwave oven is a blast to use and will be an excellent addition to any kitchen. Now, I can't say I've ever owned a microwave that I've considered to be a blast to use. I feel like there's a joke in there somewhere, but I don't know. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you guys caught on Twitter yesterday, my youngest, who's eight, uh, got hold of a joke book and, uh, she told this joke. She said, Hey, is the pool closed? I said, I don't know. Is it? We don't actually have a pool, but Hey, I'll go with the joke. She said, it depends. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh at, uh, such a corny joke, but seriously, who, describes a microwave as being a blast to use. This type of marketing speak didn't, it doesn't really do anything for the reader. It doesn't help the reader in any way. Morty goes on to say, it's obvious what the site is trying to do with the content here. It's a sales pitch. And then he looks at the page that actually did well. This is the page from best reviews. This page also has images of different built-in microwaves, but instead of a packaged cold sounding sales pitch under each one, with this, what this site does is describe each microwave in a way that you'd kind of do if you were talking to your friend who just asked you which microwave you'd prefer. For example, one microwave is described as this, an attractive microwave that's available in more finish options than other models in our list and falls on the lower end of the price spectrum. This actually gets me some practical things that I can use when I'm trying to make my decision if I was going to buy one of these microwaves. It's hard to quantify that though. It's hard to make a rule that you can use across all of your pages that would improve this type of content. 
I really think that what Morty was trying to communicate here is that it seems that pages that performed well in terms of recommending products or helping researchers make buying decisions are ones that actually addressed the questions that users are likely to have. He pointed out examples of pages that won that included buying guides. Something I've noticed that's not specific to the product reviews update, but more on pages that improved with one of these many, mini updates that we really feel represent Google better understanding intent and relevancy, is that the algorithms are now preferring many sites that help the user to find the answer to their question faster. It's not just about authoritativeness. Now, Glenn noted in his article that in a lot of cases, it was the authoritative websites that were the winners in this update, but not all. I really think that this can be connected to Google trying to do a better job at meeting the needs of searchers. And if you've been following along with me over the last few weeks and even months, this has been a big theme in Google's changes that they're making. When the quality raters guidelines last updated publicly, which was October of 2020, Google added more information to help the raters to understand whether a searcher's needs have been met. And last week I shared a quote from Frederick Deboe from Bing, where he predicted that SEOs are going to have to change from making keyword research the cornerstone of their work for optimizing pages to now be doing research on user intent. Again, we're kind of early in understanding this. And I think when as SEOs, we talk about intent optimization, we're really talking about in the past, we talked about very broad buckets. I've seen some SEOs that are starting to classify whether pages on their site are meant to meet informational intent versus transactional intent. For example, if you notice that you're trying to rank a product page and every site that is beating you for these keyword rankings that you want to rank your product page for is basically an informational article that has no commercial intent then it's gonna be really hard for you to get in there unless you actually have an informational article. But what I really think that we need to focus on even more is micro intents. Things that a tool might not be able to tell us. We're trying to figure out whether searchers, why searchers would land on this page, any page that we're trying to optimize, and how we can best provide the answers that they're searching for. I looked at one of our clients this week who had lost rankings to a particular page for one particular very important keyword. So our client is still ranking on page one. They just dropped a position or maybe, no, it's one position for their main keyword. Dropping from number one to two though for your main keyword can be devastating. And when we look at the post that is now outranking our client, it does have a bulleted list at the top of the post. That's a table of contents that immediately draws the searcher in. And I really think it promises to the searcher that yes, your answer that you're looking for is on this page. For our client, 90% of the content that's, uh, that's visible above the fold when you first visit this site, it reads like a sales pitch. We actually think that our client has drastically better content if you scroll down the page, better content than the one that's outranking us, but you wouldn't know that unless you took the time to read the entire article. 
The reader has to get past all the commercial stuff to actually find the gold that's in the article, the really, really helpful stuff. So we've made a big list of recommendations for this client to help combat that. I, I do think eventually we'll come out with some type of an article or like I said, maybe a white paper on our recommendations here, but it's still very, very early. And I'll be looking at individual clients, uh, you know, for the next several weeks. So whenever I can pass something on in podcast, I will. Uh, but I, it's hard for me to share very specific examples because I don't want to um, expose our clients uh, in case some of you are competitors out there. <laughs> um, so what can you do for your website? or for your clients' websites in order to try to optimize for micro intent. Well, what I'd recommend is starting to focus on important keywords that have slipped in rankings over the last few months. You're looking for keywords where your client used to perform really well and then gradually has been losing rankings over the last few weeks, maybe since January which is when we first started seeing these micro updates that I think are really connected to Google understanding intent. And then you need to look at these pages from the perspective of somebody who has no clue what they're going to find on that page. It's not enough to say, well, look, if you scroll, scroll three quarters of the way down the page, we have way better information than everybody else. What we're trying to do here is convince readers within a few seconds of landing on this page that yes, First of all, this website has appropriate EAT to be advising them on this subject. And then secondly, to be able to convince the reader very quickly that there's quality content on this page that would be worth their effort spent to engage with it. I should also mention that we had a couple more of these dates that we've been calling mini updates where we've been seeing a lot of movement that really looks typical of what we see when Google runs a significant update. We have a lot of clients with changes on April 18th and Barry Schwartz wrote an article saying that a lot of us are noting significant ranking changes starting April 23rd. He speculated maybe this is connected to the product review update, although that ended April 22nd. I haven't looked into whether these changes could be connected to the product review update uh, just yet or something else, but I think it's a reasonable assumption to say that this is just another one of these mini quality updates where Google gets a little bit better at recognizing relevancy. All right, what else is interesting in SEO this week? I've seen a little bit more discussion about indexing issues lately. There was a post on Reddit where somebody was saying that they've been trying for five days to get three particular articles indexed on Google. And Gary Ish actually joined into this conversation and he commented this, uh, content still has to pass quality checks to get selected for indexing. If you've been struggling to get content indexed, then this could be your issue. Uh, often what I find is that when people say, when I say this to people, they'll say, no, no, my content is super high quality. It really should be indexed. But often when we look at these posts, we can see issues that are pointed out in the quality raters guidelines as a sign of low quality. Some of these articles we've looked at have had grammar issues. A lot of them were English articles that are written by a non-native English speaker. And I say this every time I make this comment that if you can write in two different languages, I have great respect for you. It's not easy being proficient in more than one language. 
However, if you want to rank on the English Google searches and your English is broken or it reads like foreign written content, then this definitely can be seen as a sign of low quality in Google's eyes. In other cases, we see EAT issues. You might have a post that talks on a medical subject, but maybe it's written by an author who has no medical EAT. In the past, we're kind of used to Google still accepting those kind of articles into their index, but maybe they just wouldn't rank very well. I really feel like over the last year or so, the algorithms have changed so that in some cases, Google can essentially say, look, we're never going to want to show this to anybody. They're talking on medical topics, but we have no evidence that they have the expertise to do that. Or maybe you have some other type of quality issue that's listed in the quality raters guidelines. And in the past, we could still get this type of content into Google's index. And then traditional SEO would say, all right, now we've got it indexed. Let's build links to this content and get it to rank. I, I really think now if you're struggling to get pages indexed, then Google's kind of doing you a favor because no amount of link building to that content is going to make these pages rank if Google already thinks that they're low quality. I also think that in the aggregate, if Google's excluding a lot of your pages from the index, then this can speak to your entire website's quality as well. This might be a component of Panda, but we have cases even in the last year or so where we help clients clean up thin content and we've seen an increase in rankings across the board as a result. Let's actually talk about this idea of Google having a quality score for your website. I was just reading this article by Bill Slosky about a patent that Google has that Bill called website representation vectors, which Google can use to classify things like expertise and authority. It gets kind of deep and complicated, but the gist of it is that in this article, Bill talks about the th this thing that they call, that Google calls a quality score or potentially multiple quality scores. Here's a quote from the article. The patent explains how it might further classify websites based upon whether they meet thresholds upon quality scores. Now, it doesn't go into specific details about what the score consists of, but Bill says that Google's been granted several patents about quality scores. I really think this is connected to several aspects of EAT, especially trustworthiness. We talked a lot in the past about how Google doesn't want to rank websites that contradict scientific consensus, for example. An example of this would be a website that speaks mostly on alternative medical topics that maybe aren't highly backed up with scientific research. I think that if you have the odd post like this, it probably just gets ignored by Google. But I also think that if a huge part of your website contains information that looks like medical advice, but Google has a lack of other information in their knowledge graph that supports the ideas you're trying to push forward, then this can affect your quality score as well. I should qualify this by just saying, this is my thought. We don't know this 100% for sure. Um, and that's why a couple of years ago, we created a white paper on our recommendations for medical sites that have this type of content. We've had pretty good success in trying to improve upon the quality of this content by adding references and sources and alternate expert 
viewpoints. And maybe sometimes we move parts of this content to its own subfolder or own subdomain amongst other things. I, I think that doing so can change Google's quality score for that section of your website, or perhaps for your website as a whole. There's a lot we don't know here though. I think the take home point is if you're struggling to get content indexed, then yes, you should look at technical things. I've seen cases where people say, oh, this one page can't get into Google's index. And it turns out that maybe they've used the URL removal tool in the past to get it out of the index. Or I've seen other cases where people say, I've tried everything to get this page indexed. And it turns out it's blocked by robots or in some cases even has a no index tag. But in most cases that I've investigated, there really isn't a technical reason for these pages not to be in Google's index. So if you're struggling with getting pages indexed, then I really encourage you to read Google's quality raters guidelines. We do have a guide that we sell with our recommendations based on what myself and my team have pulled out of the QRG as we've been studying this for over four years now. But I really think that most sites that are struggling to get content indexed have serious site-wide quality issues. And sometimes those can be hard to pick up. I'm not talking about technical issues. I'm talking more about things regarding uh, EAT and the quality of the content itself. Now, with all of this said, right as I'm prepping to record this podcast, Google just tweeted that they have a new program that they're launching where you can report weird indexing issues to Google. This is only available in the US right now. And apparently you can find it in the index coverage report of Search Console. There's going to be an option to report indexing issues to Google. I think all of the, the, I think the result of all of this is going to be Google patting themselves on the back saying, yep, all these pages that are being reported as not being able to be indexed are pages we don't actually want in our index. Uh, but I do think it's really cool that Google's asking for examples. It sounds like they may want to make sure that there isn't a problem on their side. So I'll report back more on that because I know we do get a lot of emails from people who are struggling to get their content indexed. All right, we do have a sponsor for this episode. So I just wanna take a couple of minutes to talk to you again about Sitebulb. Sitebulb takes crawl data and automatically applies over 300 checks to it. They identify patterns and common SEO issues and opportunities to explore further. Sitebulb provides reports that prioritize things so that the most important issues are front and center in your audit workflow and enabling you to focus your time on the most significant areas. I've been talking a lot in this episode about non-technical things that could be worked on to help improve websites, but improving upon technical aspects, which you can do by using a tool like Sitebulb, um, things like improving internal linking, finding areas in which Google might struggle to crawl your website, things like that all have the potential to help you perform better for many websites. It's important to have a solid foundation if you want to perform well. And even if you don't care about all of that, the crawl maps in Sitebulb are insanely addictive. So you're going to want to give it a try. Guaranteed, uh, I was going to say guaranteed it'll help you. Guaranteed might be a strong word here, but I really do feel like you'll get some benefit by running a Sitebulb crawl on your website. Uh, if you want to give Sitebulb a spin for free, 
You can get a special extended trial license by using the code searchnews you can use at sitebulb.com slash searchnews. Okay, this next item is a really interesting one. I'm going to talk about some issues that people are having in getting included in Google News. Now, I'm a little bit hesitant here because in all transparency, I do not personally do a lot of work with Google News rankings. However, one of MHC's lead auditors, Alec Brownscombe, runs a successful sports website that does really, really well in Google News. And he also consults with several clients that have a Google News presence as well. I joined him on a call with one of his clients this week, one of our clients that uh, were trying to figure out why they couldn't get any traction in Google News. Now, one of the things that we noticed is that if you go to Google News and you do a site colon search for this client, it returns a whole bunch of pages on the site that really should be included in Google News. When you do that search, you can kind of think, yeah, the site is included in Google News. I've seen other people too that say, yeah, I'm in Google News. If you do site colon search, you can see that my site is there. However, for this client and for others, we're not the only ones that have this problem. Anything other than a site colon search returns nothing. We can search for the title of an article, like a unique title of an article. We can search for, uh, quotes, you know, we'll put text in quotes from our article and uh, Google will not return our client. And this is happening for other clients as well. If you're seeing this for your website that you can see yourself in Google news on a site colon search, but pretty much nothing is actually ranking when it comes to keywords or text from the pages themselves, then you probably have not been accepted to Google news. So it turns out that Back at some point in 2019, Google made it so that being accepted into Google News is an algorithmic process as opposed to a manual one. I tweeted about this and I had a bit of a conversation with Barry Adams, who, if you don't know Barry, he's very well known as having some fairly large Google News clients. Well, Barry said that he's heard the same story from many people that since mid 2019, it's been almost impossible for a new site to be included and actually rank in Google News. Now in June of 2020, which really is a year after these problems have happened, we had this thing that we called the government update. And I actually think that these could be connected. In that update, uh, Google actually shared with us a document on how they fight disinformation. And they said that in times of crisis, they may change the algorithms to prefer authoritativeness um, over relevancy. And this was in an effort to protect people from uh, being fed fake news. I think the two of these might be connected. Um, not that this all started in June of 2020 when the government update happened, but just that we know that there are times where Google may decide that uh, they're going to, um, you know, just be super cautious in what they recommend in terms of a news site. And I think that most would agree that we still are in a time of crisis in the world. <laughs> I think things are getting better in a lot of places. I hear stories of towns opening up and vaccines appear to have good effect. We're still in lockdown here in Ottawa, although our numbers are going down, which is really good. Everyone over 40 is eligible for a vaccine right now. 
although it's really not easy to get. The point I'm trying to make here is that while things are getting better in some parts of the world, we're still definitely in a time of world crisis. And it wouldn't surprise me if Google has simply closed off new entries to Google News because there's far more spam than good these days, and they want to err on the side of caution in not recommending potentially untrustworthy content. So if you're one of the good sites that's trying to get included into Google News, and this client of ours, they tick all the boxes. They have authoritative writers who really know what they're talking about. They're known as authorities. They have really good content. Now we've worked with them to no index some of the content on their site that was maybe a bit on the thin side, but really, I don't see any obvious reason for Google to not include them in Google News. So after having some discussion on Twitter this week, my conclusion is that Google's just decided to close the door to allowing new sites, even good ones, into Google News. So I thought I'd mention that for now because I feel like there are other people out there who have been trying to do everything you can to get included in Google News. And if you're struggling, you might just need to wait until Google decides to relax the requirements a little bit. I think that's probably a good place to stop blabbering on at this point. We have some really, really good stuff in newsletter that I have not covered in this podcast. Something I really want to do uh, to dig into is the most recent help hangout. Glenn Gabe pulled out a section about what John says about authors and entity recognition. So one of my tasks uh, for tomorrow is to go through the most recent help hangout and give my thoughts on the things that John has recommended. Another thing I should mention is that it does look like there's been a lot of variability in local rankings over the last week. We included this in newsletter as well, uh, Bright Local's ranking flux track tracker, which shows that there's been a lot of movement recently with Google's local algorithm maps rankings. I struggle with how to report this now because I, I've always wanted to be knowledgeable about every algorithm change that Google makes that could impact our jobs as SEOs. One of the things that's been happening is that I've been studying less and less about local algorithm changes because at MHC, we don't really do a lot of local SEO at this point. We may in the future though. We've got potentially some plans. So if you're in local spaces, just know that something is going on here. I haven't investigated it thoroughly. There are a lot of good resources for learning about this, but one of my favorites is Joy Hawkins local search forum. Uh, I think it's just localsearchforum.com. Uh, I'd recommend that for sure. If you're trying to get more information on that. All right. I think that's probably enough for today. There's a lot going on in the world of SEO, and I feel very privileged to be able to share my thoughts with you on how we're dealing with understanding Google's changes in their algorithms these days. If you found any part of this podcast episode helpful, I'd love for you to leave me a like or a comment on whatever platform you're listening to. On most platforms, you should be able to subscribe if you'd like to be notified each week when we come out with a new episode. I'm off to play some Fortnite after this. It's a rainy day, so no gardening. I've been doing gardening pretty much every day after work, which is awesome. Uh, but instead, I'm focusing on improving my side jumps. <laughs> I know most of you have absolutely no clue what that means. It's just me trying to be good at Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite is like 3D chess, but way more complicated. I love it so much. And it's such a good way to clear my mind when I've been trying to figure out what Google is doing. It's virtually impossible to figure out Google 
and win a Fortnite fight at the same time. <laughs> I don't know what you do for fun, but video games are a great way for me to relax and I highly recommend it. Thanks so much for listening and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. 